Thank you, Annette. Well, as you've just heard, uh, Job chapter 3 is possibly one of the heaviest parts of the Bible, I would say, and um, uh, I don't know how it'll come across as we, um, as we think about it tonight, but maybe we could make a little agreement as we start. Um, if, if just sort of dwelling on this stuff is, um, I guess, a little bit troubling and heavy for you and uh, you're quite upset by it, then please make sure that you speak to me or... Justine or Liz or Eddie or a trusted friend uh, about how you're feeling um, fairly immediately because uh, this is heavy stuff if you dwell on it and as I say it may not come across that way but, but we'll see how we go. So let's pray. Loving Father, we uh, ask that you speak to us truly and gently. Uh, help us to reflect honestly about uh, the way that life is And we pray, Lord, that uh, you would guide us towards the truth and ultimately closer to you uh, through hearing your word tonight. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in our house we follow the rugby league a little bit and uh, I live with Roosters fans because um, I married into a Roosters following family. Uh, That's one of the crosses that I bear. Uh, So last year's grand final was some interest in our house because the Roosters were in it and uh, I don't know whether you follow rugby league and it doesn't matter if you don't but um, uh, there was an air of drama in last year's grand final because their star halfback of the Roosters, Cooper Cronk, uh, had injured his shoulder the week before and uh, no one knew whether he would play in the grand final. There was all this mystery. And uh, the grand final came round and he took to the field with one arm just sort of hanging uselessly by his side like this and he started running around like this. and he played most of the game and he organised his team to victory. And it was later revealed that his shoulder was completely broken the week before. Um, you know, the bone sort of snapped through. Um, and he's been praised for his toughness and courage, taking to the field, even making nine tackles, etc. Yes, he was pumped to the eyeballs full of painkillers. But the model of the stoic rugby league player who plays through this severe catastrophic injury gives everything for the team and doesn't complain, even gracious in victory at the end. Well, the Bible says that all of us live our, live our lives in something of a state of disjointedness and brokenness. Everybody suffers, everybody lives with pain to differing degrees. The poor person in the slum suffers, the rich person in the mansion suffers, the person by themselves suffers, the person surrounded by a big family and lots of friends suffers, The old person suffers, the young person suffers, the female suffers, so does the male. Now you might think, really, is it really as bleak as all that? I haven't experienced a lot of suffering myself. But I guess even even if you've been in the world for a little while, you know what it's like to feel the little hurts. You know, we, we feel little hurts all the time. Sometimes in life there are really whopping big hurts. Uh, sometimes the little hurts just pile up on top of you and sort of overwhelm you. And so life really is full of suffering. Uh, To be human in this fallen world is to suffer because everybody's life is out of joint to some degree or broken and we just have to play on through that. What choice do we have? And the main question that I want to raise tonight is whether being Christian makes suffering harder or easier. Is it an anaesthetic to be a Christian or does it inflame suffering when it comes. Well in the book of Job, the first two chapters which we've looked at, Job looks a little bit like you know a heroic Cooper Cronk. 
He's very stoic, he's very controlled, he gives the right answer. But in chapter 3, uh, it's, the pain is not going away and Job complains loudly and bitterly. And the point of the complaint is not the issue that itself, the suffering itself, it's the fact that he is a believer and he is aware that he is under the hand of God in what he's going through. And that raises all kinds of extra problems for him. And it might cause us to reflect on the experience of suffering for a believer, uh, particularly perhaps whether being a Christian makes that experience of suffering harder or easier. Now, the last part of chapter 2, which the reading started with, shows us how Job's suffering looked. And then chapter 3 shows us how Job's suffering felt. So firstly, just looking at verses 11 to 13 of chapter 2 there, um, Job's circumstances, as we've heard in previous weeks, were as bad, about as bad as life can get. Everything he has had has been taken from him. His sort of place in the world has been erased. His very person has now been invaded so that sickness has afflicted him and his, every inch of his body is covered in painful sores, making him something of a spectacle and an outcast. Uh, at the end of chapter 2, Three friends arrive and they're from very different places. They've heard of Job's misfortune. They've organised to come together as something of a delegation and they have come, it says, to sympathise and to comfort Job. That is, to share in his grief, to to try to speak helpfully into his suffering. But what is the effect of uh, their initial reaction to Job here? I think the effect of this paragraph is really to highlight for us how completely terrible Job's suffering was by showing, it how it, showing us how it looked from the outside to these three friends when they came to visit Job. Verse 12 says that they could hardly recognise him from a distance. So a little bit like when you walk into the hospital ward to visit somebody and there's a few beds in there and you scan all the beds and you think, oh, maybe you've got the room, wrong room, I can't see that person here. And then you look again and you think, oh, hang on, that's them over there. Um, so diminished, so changed. Um, You sort of put your game face on and you go and say hello. But these three friends, once they identified Job, didn't hide their reaction when they saw him. They loudly expressed shock and grief. Uh, It says, they began to weep aloud and they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads. And then they did something that's perhaps a little bit ambiguous to us, verse 13. Then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. No one said a word to him because they saw how great his suffering was. So they just sat there for seven days. Now it's probably true that that is the most sensible thing that those three did in this book uh, given that when they eventually opened their mouths they really didn't help much at all. However, what what are we supposed to do with their silence? Is it a pastoral strategy that we're being taught here? Um, some people see it that way. One commentator says they were, they were true friends. They brought to Job's lonely ash heap the compassion of a silent presence. Um, was silence like a pastoral strategy to bring comfort to Job? I'm not actually very sure about that um, because the first person to speak is Job and he doesn't seem all that comforted when he, when he bursts out in ver- uh, chapter 3. And so perhaps the three friends just sat there in silence because they were at something of a a loss. Maybe there just didn't seem to be anything to say. Job's suffering was so terrible that they had nothing to offer him. Uh, Perhaps he seemed so far gone that they figured he was as good as dead, so they treated him accordingly. 
what's the point in talking? Just wait for him to die. The seven day mourning period, the ashes on the head, very sad, but what can you do? Uh, Not much comfort for Job, who of course knows that he would be better off dead, but for some reason death will not come. Uh, By this stage, he's probably been there for months, sitting there on his ash heap, suspended in this state of torment, and it would seem wondering why God will not let him go. So how did he look? It looked absolutely terrible. If you or I were there and we had seen him, we probably would have been pretty much as useless as the three friends. So I think, first of all, this is a reminder of uh, how isolating severe suffering can be when no one can really enter that experience with you. Uh, You almost become like a spectacle for people to look at. And in some ways it reminds me also of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane in the anguish of what he's about to to go through in the coming hours. Um, You know, his friends are with him. He, he, He tells them to watch and pray. His spirit is tortured. He's overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. And what are they doing? They fall asleep. They're completely overwhelmed. They just cannot walk this path with him. They can't be of any help to him. They're just completely out of their depth. So they sort of shut down. So if that is the situation with Job here, if that's how it looked to the three friends, uh, it really underlines the extent of Job's suffering uh, when they see him at the end of chapter 2. And next we learn, well, if that's how it looked, well, how it felt was even worse from the inside in chapter 3. The first thing that Job expresses in chapter 3 is dark despair in verses 1 to 10. Uh, After this, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. And he doesn't just curse the day of his birth, he also curses the night of his conception. So he's being fairly thorough in just wishing that it never even began. Uh, And he uses creation language of light and darkness. He wishes his existence could sort of be reversed back into the darkness of uncreation. And he uses the language of pagan mythology in verse 8, the Leviathan, this sort of dragon of chaos who's restrained so that the order of creation can be maintained and he just says, I wish it had been let loose on the day of my birth so that it could all be reversed or it never uh, could have come about. I wish I didn't exist if my place in the order of creation is this bad. So that's really the sentiment that Job is expressing in verses 1 to 10. And and we can see how little hope he has of a future here. He's clearly resigned to suffering being his lot. He doesn't see this as temporary. This is the awful place that God has now given him in the world. And so, of course, it begs the question of why. Why would God give someone such a terrible lot in life? And that's really the question at the centre of Job's bitter turmoil, which he vents in verses 11 to 26. Firstly, he reflects on the fact that he would really be better off dead. Now, he's not suicidal here. Um, When his wife counselled him to curse God and die, you might remember, because he really would have been better off dead, he rejected that advice. He's still holding on to the integrity of his faith. The Lord is still his God, so he's not, allowed, he's not about to take matters into his own hands. But he wonders why God would prefer him alive in this state uh, rather than dead, which would seem preferable to him. In fact, he wishes he'd not even seen a day of life in this world. Why couldn't I have just gone straight to the grave, he says. Now, um, 
We need to note that Job had what you might call a very sort of early Old Testament view of what happens after you die um, and he might be looking at death through rose-coloured glasses here. Um, In the Old Testament, the grave or Sheol is a shadowy underworld place, a land of gloom and darkness and quietness and cold. Normally you would resist going there because if you've gone to the grave then it means that your light has been darkened in some way. But compared to the experience of this life, Job thinks, well, that sounds great, a place of sleep and rest and peace. And so as he describes in those verses, it's the place where everybody goes, kings and rulers and princes and stillborn babies and even wicked people and captives, small and great, everybody goes there to sleep in death. And when you get there, what happens in this life has been left behind. The good things are gone, the bad things are gone. Death has just levelled everybody and the turmoil and the struggle is over. It's all over and done, game over. Now, he's not describing ceasing to exist. Uh, The Bible never says we cease to exist when we die. He just wants a different, quieter state of being. He's not calling for justice beyond, beyond life at this stage. He's just longing for the end. And so in verses 19 to 26, he questions why God doesn't darken his light. If the light of his life is really just burning pain, why doesn't God just snuff it out? That's his question. So verses 20 to 26, he says, Why is light given to those in misery and life to the bitter of soul? to those who long for death that does not come, who search for it more than for hidden treasure, who are filled with gladness and rejoice when they reach the grave. Why is life given to a man whose way is hidden, whom whom God has hedged in? For sighing has become my daily food, my groans pour out like water, what I feared has come upon me, what I dreaded has happened to me. I have no peace, no quietness, I have no rest, but only turmoil. And so the The essence of the turmoil is why God allows him to keep going in this nightmare state. And this is not just an emotional low, there really is no silver lining in Job's situation, in his reality. As far as he could know, God was against him. So this is how it feels for Job because this is how it was for him, this was his life. And it's the awareness of God's hand in this suffering that makes it so much worse. I mean, if Job were not a believer, he could conclude that it was all just random bad luck um, and that was his answer. Uh, Or if he believed in multiple gods, he could maybe conclude that uh, a nasty god, maybe Satan, had got the better of his god and that was his answer. Or if he were a Buddhist, he would tell himself to uh, let go of his desires and let go of himself And that was his answer. But he has to maintain the integrity of his faith, which means concluding that his God was doing this to him. And that's not a a, a satisfying answer. So, as I said, this is the darkest chapter in the Bible, I would say, um, describing extreme suffering from the inside, how it feels. And I think it's here in the Bible because we need to understand the weight of the suffering before the conversation begins and people start offering solutions. So the conversation begins in the next chapter and people start talking about his suffering, but here we see how it actually felt for Job to be in his situation. Now, uh, for us, I just want to offer a few reflections on this passage from a Christian point of view. 
uh, I think it challenges us in three ways. The first is it challenges us to be humble. We all suffer in various ways and some suffer a lot more than others. But let's first remember that there is one person who has suffered more than Job and who has gone through the ultimate torment. Uh, So, as I said, Jesus' lonely agony in Gethsemane resonates with Job chapter 2. And I think Jesus' cry on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, resonates with Job chapter 3. The difference between Jesus and Job, of course, is that Jesus knew what was going on, whereas Job was in the dark. And Jesus was consciously quoting from Psalm 22 when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, which And that psalm, in the end, expresses confidence in ultimate vindication, whereas Job at this point expresses no such confidence. But the experience of suffering between Job and Jesus, it would seem, was similar. The feeling of God being against you, having God's hand heavy upon you. Uh, That, I think, is what Jesus was expressing. Now, we might ask, well, how does that work? Since we know that Jesus was is God, how can God forsake God? I mean, was, was the Trinity torn apart there on the cross? Well, no, the Trinity was not torn apart. Um, uh, they were still one. But Jesus certainly suffered the wrath of God. He suffered at God's hand, as Job did, as he hung there on the cross. And as a result of that, we can say that God knows what the worst of our suffering feels like. He's not up there sort of handing out decrees and not really caring or knowing how it plays out down here or inside of us. He knows from the inside how suffering feels. Job chapter 3, you could put on the lips of Jesus. And of course, we should be very humbled and awed, I think, by the fact that Jesus took this upon himself for us. Jesus went through Job chapter 3 for us and worse. And that, of course, should make us really appreciate Jesus. He went through this kind of pain and turmoil for me, so that I never have to suffer the ultimate torment. So be humble is the first thing. That's uh, how it makes me feel when I think Jesus has done this for me. And the second thing I want to encourage us with is to be thankful. And that is not just that Jesus suffered for you, but also that his suffering and then his resurrection has opened up a future for you and me beyond this life that uh, wasn't yet open to Job. And a Christian can do much better than just hope for a cold, quiet, dark spot to rest under the ground. You know, if you're a Christian, you've got a much better hope than just, gee, I hope I go under the ground and have a bit of a rest. Because a Christian has the hope of the presence of God beyond beyond this life, beyond death. Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. And Paul said, I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. Uh, The death and resurrection of Jesus has changed life after death for both believers and unbelievers. We don't both go to the same place anymore. And so I expect that Job is now with Christ, whose death paid for him as well, eventually. No longer in the place of the dead, but in the presence of his God. Now, we need to wait for God's time before we get there. Um, But there is a brighter future for us than Job was available was able to foresee. And when our time comes, it's not like our light will be snuffed out. It will be intensified by Christ when we're brought into his presence. And so 
Be humble but be thankful for that hope of what uh, lies beyond. And the last thing I want to challenge us, uh, us with tonight is to be sensitive. Um, you don't need me to tell you that we are not in heaven yet. We still live in the brokenness of this world. We still need to keep playing on. Uh, God still tests his people to prove his glory and you and I, we have that playing out in our lives. So there is still pain of various kinds, which for some is terrible. The culture we're living in tells us, be like Cooper Cronk, play on stoically. True heroes hide their suffering and they don't whinge. Our Christian culture might add pressure to that and say, well, um, we're, we, we feel we're supposed to have it together all the time. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. So don't, not only be stoic, but also be happy. Um, one lady said to me that she finds church very hard, one reason being that she just can't sing the happy, upbeat songs at church. She feels like she doesn't belong because she often feels sad. I said to her, well, lots of people are hiding stuff in church. It's a, sort of our fault, but that's the way it is. Uh, We need to bear in mind that Job's struggles were the struggles of a believer and his loud, bitter complaint in chapter 3 is not failure. He's not doing anything wrong in expressing himself here. Whoever said that silence is godly? This is the struggle of a believer facing up to the fact that he is suffering terribly under God's hand and God knows that and it was okay for Job to voice that. So this chapter gives Christians permission to suffer and to feel badly about it. You don't have to suffer and somehow feel good about it. And so it also prompts those around people who are suffering to be sensitive and to understand the turmoil. There has to be a place in our fellowship for Christians who are miserable. doesn't mean we need to sing miserable songs sometimes in church, but we need to realise that this is the way a believer can feel. Yes, we work towards rejoicing. Rejoice in the Lord always, says the Bible. We need to remember the gospel blessings. But God doesn't expect that to be an easy process uh, considering that he sends the trials our way. And so um, being a Christian makes suffering harder because we know that God's hand is in it. But on the other hand, being a Christian also makes suffering easier because we have hope And we have a God who understands our suffering. It's both. It makes it harder and it makes it easier. And so the challenge is to be humble, uh, to be thankful and to be sensitive to what we and those around us go through. So let's pray that God helps us. Loving Father, we thank you that your word doesn't gloss over the deep and the hard things in life. It doesn't gloss over the difficult questions and the difficult experiences. We thank you for this chapter in Job and we pray that you'd help us to reflect on it, um, to increase our appreciation for Jesus, to increase our hope of heaven, but also to give us a greater awareness of what life can be like for ourselves and for those around us because we're believers. Lord, we know that you are in control and uh, nothing happens outside of your will. Um, We thank you that we can know that you are good, that you are on our side if we're in Christ. 
And so we pray, Lord, that you'd help us to confront these difficult issues and to, uh, to be sensitive with one another. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Immense suffering that Jesus went through for us 